My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The, the Underground. The Decision. The Exposed. The Departure. The Sickle. Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Not an Animorphs book. Hey everyone! Welcome to the mailbag episode! Yay! I should say the first mailbag episode. Probably we'll do more of these. Because yes. we're only 18 oh, yeah. books we're into the series. Gonna, we're definitely going to do more. So we have a lot of questions. You all were very generous with your thoughts, and we're so excited. We may not be able to get to all of them, but we're going to do our best. To get started, we have written all of the categories in which I put the questions on the whiteboard in this room that we are in. So I'm going to let Ted and Gray pick their favorite category, and we can start there. Okay, let's start with morphing mechanics. Morphing mechanics, okay. So this first question comes from You Are the Law on Tumblr. If you morphed a tiger, chill for an hour, then morph back, are you the same age you were when you first morphed, or are you an hour older? And how about when you go back to the tiger, is it an hour older now, or does it reset each time to the age it was when you acquired it? Okay. I want to take the second question first. You can take the second question first. Because I'm pretty sure that the tiger, when you morph it, is always going to be the age it was when you acquired its DNA. That's how I feel. I agree with that. Yeah, I think this is This is why Tobias is human morph is a problem for him. He'll always be morphing... A 13-year-old. A 13-year-old. Yeah. No matter how many times he morphs the 13-year-old and morphs back, it'll never age. true. It's going to get awkward. The first part, are you the same age that you were? I don't know. That's tougher. Your body is in Z-space. And as we've seen, bodies in Z-space are in sort of biostasis. So probably your body doesn't age. That's a good point. Yeah, but you might mature emotionally. They certainly go through a lot while they're in morph. So, but physically, I don't, I don't think they would age. So that means Tobias's old body that's trapped in Z space is also still is also 13. still thirteen. Although a few days older than the new body that he can morph. Correct. Consensus. All right. Great. Consensus right. answer. Great. Okay. So this is this is sort of these two go together. Uh, we have a comment from You Are the Law on Tumblr and our champion commenter Rena Gale, who has been leaving comments on our website. Thanks, Rena. Hey, Rena. Yeah. We love you. Rena is really the best. They each have a theory for how all the how there is extra mass in Z space, as I have contended. And You Are the Law suggests that part of creating the morphing technology, in addition to creating the cubes, was pumping some reservoir of mass into Z space for the cubes to draw on. And Rena suggests that matter sucked through black holes might end up there somewhere. Because black holes are magic, and why not? Discuss. It's all magic. (laughs) I continue to contend that there is no actual scientific explanation for how this works. It's all just magic. But can you just say, it's all magic, and does that explain it away? Like, doesn't magic need to have mechanics of its own? No. That's what makes it different from science. Oh, (laughs) that magic doesn't have mechanics. So really, they just the, the seven years at Hogwarts, they just didn't do anything. I mean, pretty much. <laughs> that does, <laughs> These yeah. children did not learn anything, certainly. No, I mean, I just think that when you have science fiction, emphasis on the science, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. often it's focused on, you know, physics and and mechanics and kind of how does space travel actually work? Do you, do you fold space? Do you go through black holes? Are there, mm-hmm. you know, points in space, whatever. There's some plausible or like mm-hmm. vaguely plausible and in-universe explanation for how these things happen. And it's meant to be internally consistent. The Animorphs, on the other hand, 
are just sort of like, yeah, and then there's then they can become elephants. Sure. See, I would argue with you on this because I feel like if science fiction manages to make the science seem plausible, it's usually kind of sleight of hand because if it were really plausible science, like we would have it. Like, we would do those things. Like, we have not invented faster-than-light travel, so any explanation for faster-than-light travel is always going to be crap. So the Animorphs have posited an explanation, and one of the reasons that we keep finding holes in it is just... I mean, I think there are a few things. It's that we are super obsessed with these books, as are many people on the internet, (laughs) and so, like, we're poking at the things that don't add up, because, of course, it's not real science, because it's fiction. And then there's also the thing where, because of the nature of the books... I feel like they didn't start with a robust picture of the science, and they've sort of been building it as they go, would be my guess. And so some of it maybe isn't quite as consistent as we would like. But I don't think that makes it not science fiction or that it makes it magic. It just makes it not real science because it's sci-fi, not sci. Yeah, would you call this, this a fantasy series? I mean... It does make attempts to explain all of its things with science. That's true. So I feel like it is science fiction... Mm-hmm. you could criticize some of the That's very fiction. fair. Yeah. And something that I do have been coming back to in the months that we've been doing this is, Jenny, at one point you pointed out that magic cares who you are and oh, yeah, science yeah. fiction doesn't. And that's been really helpful for me too <laughs> as I'm thinking about you know other books that I'm reading. And I think this is a really good example of that because it doesn't actually care who they are. They could have been any kids. The Mm -hmm. Elemist is magic. (laughs) Did care who they are, is magic, but the cube. (laughs) And maybe the psychic whale is also magic. A little unclear. The psychic whales might be a little magic. Or, I mean, you know, brains are mysterious things. Fantasy biology, (laughs) science fiction technology, I don't know. And there's also the, you know, sufficiently advanced science kind of thing, which, like, the Elemist really falls into that category. We have no idea if he's using science to do his things, because we just can't really see what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that it's extra mass that was sucked through a black hole. (laughs) Because the idea that the Andalites somehow shot a bunch of mass into (laughs) Z-space... Now I have questions about where it came from and why their spaceships don't bump into it all the time. The the thing about pumping mass into Z-space is that it makes me think that the Andalite military has some, like, secret dark base where they're, like, doing (laughs) creepy stuff to, like, get matter into a Z-space pump. You know, they're, like, disposing of garbage or criminals. Well, they used to have cities, right? So maybe they had a garbage problem. Right. And they decided to solve both problems. But it seems kind of sinister. Like, where's the mask coming from? You could imagine, like, an Animorphs noir story where (laughs) you realize it goes all the way to the top. They probably just caught some asteroids or something. The living asteroids. Oh, no. That's right. (gasps) Oh, no. Wait, you guys like the living asteroids? (laughs) Of course I like the living asteroids. Gray likes the living asteroids. Why are they villains? We don't know their story. Maybe they were attacked by the Andalites. What? We don't know. Maybe the Andalites tried to shove them into Z-Space, and that's why they fought back. That's true. <laughs> we don't know until we get the Asteroid Chronicles. I can't wait for that. Okay, but I think we should move on. Okay. So, Ted, it's your turn to pick a category. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, let's talk about Elfangor's death. Ooh, okay. So we had a couple thoughts on Elfangor's death. Someone left a comment on our website, someone named Seas, who said that the best theory that they've seen for why doesn't Elfengor morph is that he's an Andalite prince and well-known by the Yerks, so if he morphed and ran, the Yerks would kill a lot of people looking for him and likely eventually find him. Being a noble hero guy, he doesn't think it's worth it and probably doesn't want to watch innocents die just because he's hiding. Mm. What do you guys think? I like the theory if we never got Elfengor's perspective. 
But we'll get into this a little later. But I found that the Andal- I don't love the Andalite Chronicles as much as I want to. And I feel yeah. that that's like because we miss out on the internal interiority of Prince Elfangor. So mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that he's that much of a hero. But I like yeah. the idea. I like the idea too. Although I don't know that he had time to really think that through. Yeah. Also, I hope, given the Andalite Chronicles, that if he had the option... He would have morphed just to find, like, just to see Lauren again. Yeah. You know, not necessarily even to save his life, but just to, like, oh, you're still there? Great. Peace. And then he could go and get killed. Yeah. And I think also the idea that, like, you know, tis nobler to die. Like, he doesn't know how effective these kids are going to be, although I guess the Elemist showed him the vision of the shining timelines, and so he knows the Animorphs are going to be pretty good. But... It wouldn't be implausible to say, like, hey, maybe I should stay alive and help these kids who don't know what they're doing and are suddenly facing aliens. Right. And Tobias is there. Would he really die rather than like, give Tobias a parent? Apparently, yeah. I mean, again, that's <laughs> well, like the yeah. last page of the Andalite Chronicles. <laughs> well, so, okay. Rena Gale suggested another theory... She's speculating out of universe. I'm pretty sure the initial intention was that injuries acquired in your original body could not be morphed away, which is why Tobias still had the scratches from Dude. Damage done to a morph was irrelevant because it was only a DNA copy, uh, but it's not until at least a dozen or more books later, I think, that the Animorphs are mentioned as using it to heal from something in their original bodies. Yeah, so that, that makes might sense. Be, it might just be that mm-hmm. the morphing as a healing device hadn't really... And I remember being surprised by that with Tobias. Mm-hmm. He talks about still being scratched after he's been morphing a bunch. Yeah, so, so I think maybe... So it's a mistake. Yeah. And I think this wasn't really directly to us. Um, this was a reblog of something that we had posted, maybe of our first episode, that Akavatica said that their theory was that he was just like, he'd been through so much so much of the war, like, life on Earth, like, at this point, he was just really tired and, like, willing to sort of face the end, which I might still be true whether or not he could. I think that's it. most consistent with who Elvangor is. Yeah. yeah. It's not that satisfying the answer, call. He stayed in the war until he had to to create the Animorphs. And, right. Yeah. So that's all we have for that category. Is it time for a special segment? <gasps> I bet you all have been dying to know how we possibly fund this venture. That's yeah. Because we have a bunch of Especially excellent sponsors. Liz, who wrote in, if you had to record typical podcast ads, which companies would you choose? And can you make some mock ads? Yes, we can. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsors. Beep, 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 beep. Do you feel alone in your mind? Have you ever wanted a companion who's with you every moment, sharing your every hope and dream, viewing your every fantasy and understanding them on a deep level? Are you tired of making so many decisions for yourself? Share space is for you. Join us and get rid of that pesky solitude that's been plaguing your existence. Have you tried Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all of the bran. Won't you try Wheaties? For wheat is the best food of an immorphs. <laughs> Part of a complete Android breakfast. <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by Salad Shooters. The fast and easy way to slice and shred vegetables, fruits, cheese, and more. Just point and shoot right where you want, just like the Hork Bajir. Okay. So, great, you're up. Ooh, uh, sorting the Animorphs. Oh, this is such a good one. I'm so excited. Okay. Hey. Apples of the Moon on Tumblr says, Inquiring minds need to know. Which Animorph is which Disney princess and why? Oh my god, that's Ooh. such a good question. <laughs> I know, right? Ooh. It's great. Next okay. we're going to do Disney funny animal sidekicks. Right? <laughs> yes. They're all Marco. 
<laughs> that is true. They are all markup. Hey, yeah. Dex. Oh, okay. no, Timoni Pumbaa. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. my answer for this question. Um, okay, uh, so can Marco I... is Timon and Axe is Pumbaa. Okay, so I think that Axe is Anna from Frozen. Hmm. Because Clumsy... Really into food, wants to stuff some chocolate in her face, and kind of clueless. I buy that. Okay. I was okay. I was thinking trying to approach from like the alien. Angle. Oh, and she feels all alone. Yeah. She feels isolated. Is Stitch in any way a Disney princess? You know, I thought of Stitch, but also no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Definitely know much not. about Stitch's canonical not. gender. No, but also yes. <laughs> that can be like a, a side note. Um, Anna, but also Stitch. I think Cassie is Pocahontas. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, really into the wonders of the earth. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. That's I can how see she that. solves all of her problems. Yeah. So, so someone responded to the ask on Tumblr. Pushover Media Critic said, I know there's some connection between Rachel and Mulan. Now, whether it's that she is Mulan or everyone just thinks she's Mulan when she's really not, that is up for debate. So that was a really interesting take. Mm-hmm. That's good. She definitely, because like Mulan gets really good at the fighting. She's the like female warrior one. My thought was that Jake but... was Mulan, though. Just like the focused oh. on like, like a discipline type thing. And, and she I, I ends up to... leading all of the... I went to Merida oh. for Rachel originally just because of the bear mm. thing. <laughs> Doesn't her mom turn into a bear, not her? I don't know. Yes. Yes. I kind of wanted the end of that movie, spoilers for Brave, I guess, <laughs> that to be they all end up bears forever. <laughs> I don't know if that, I didn't think about it in terms of not when I was watching the movie, but. I mean, the little brothers awesome. definitely enjoy being bears. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had actually considered um, maybe Tobias for Merida. Oh, how so? Or Moana. Um, <laughs> very much into the uh, flying free. Oh, okay. All right. What about Jasmine for Rachel? Oh, the like, sort of she's, like, angry wants. To yeah, and like, out. De- defi- like defined by her looks and held back a little bit. Right, right, but doesn't want that. Although that could really be any it's, of them. That's a pretty common Disney princess thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Disney princesses always want to be free of the place that they are. Okay, tough one. Which Disney princess is Marco? Yeah, I, yeah, because Marco is really a sidekick. He's he's the sarcastic sidekick. Are any of these princesses sarcastic in any way? No, but he's Rapunzel. <laughs> Why? Because he has long hair. He has long hair. <laughs> uh, he is very funny under okay. pressure. Yeah. And uh, has the ability to make friends and also alienate them with his bluntness. Also, he finds out that his mother is a villain. And he finds oh. out that his mother's a villain. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay. You've persuaded that, me. That works. Tobias could also be Belle, sort of like wandering around dreamy and reading things. And I feel like the Beast could be Rachel in some settings. So, you know, that romance but works. But the Beast is also Tobias because he's an athlete. <gasps> Tobias is both. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. The Beast is an athlete. <laughs> so Belle is the Elevist. <laughs> it's short for Bellevist. <laughs> oh, no, Jenny. <laughs> um, yeah, so Jake. Hmm. Jake could also be Elsa in the sort of reluctant oh, leader. the difficulty of power. Needing to hide his weaknesses. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Especially because we just saw a book about, like, the sort of Jake Axe, like, friendship dynamic and stuff. Right, it works well with both of them. That's good. I think Axe is also Ariel with the, like, um, having legs for the first time. Ah! Yes, you are so right. Being bemused by human things. 
Yes, he's like, what's that word again? Feet. <laughs> <laughs> that that is perfectly axed. Yes. Sounds okay. Good. All right. Okay. Do you want to read us our finalist? Okay, our finalist is Jake is Elsa, Marco is Rapunzel, Cassie is Pocahontas, Rachel is Jasmine, Tobias is Belle and also the Beast, Axe is Ariel. Right, and so, I invite people to comment on this. Yeah, if they and disagree. now there's so many there's so many ways that we could go with this with like Disney princess morphing covers, <laughs> or just like finding their perfect you know Tumblr memes that show that they're the Animorphs characters. Oh yeah, I think we could do some research and really prove our points. Okay, we'll do it. Now this next one, Poop Bond on Tumblr wants to know which Avenger is closest to each Animorph. I feel like Jake and Rachel are pretty easy, but the rest seem tougher. Ooh, of the original six. I would go with the original six. I okay, think that's so who the are the original question. six Avengers? Uh, they are Black Widow, Hawkeye, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, and the Hulk. So Rachel's the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I also think Cassie is Bruce Banner. Because Bruce Banner is the only one who's not like super into the fight. Okay, hold on, writing That's sounds. interesting. Yeah. I mean, we just I, haven't seen Cassie Hulk out yet. <laughs> exactly. Like, she is not super into the fight, but she can fight when she has right. to. It's like, feels very Hulk-like. Okay, so obviously Iron Man is Marco. That one's Obviously, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Um, um, obviously Thor is Axe. Obviously Thor is Axe, right? <laughs> Funny alien. Yes. Yeah. I would say also, obviously, kind of into fighting. Hawkeye is Tobias. <laughs> and I think Jake is Captain America. Jake is Captain America. Does Hawkeye have any personality? Like, I don't... I, Not because that I he has Hawk in the name, but what does he have to <laughs> do with Tobias? He is, is he the soul of the Avengers? No, no, no he's not. He's not. But he is the eyes in the sky. He's the one who perches in a high place and like observes things and also shoots them with great accuracy. And he's the one the Avengers always forget about. Like, yes, they always yes, forget about he's Tobias. the one they always forget about. <laughs> so I think that that I think that's a valid connection. Okay. I think Rachel that, has to be Black Widow. Yeah, but Black Widow has a lot of like Black Widow is a Slytherin like. Marco has a lot of Black Widow characteristics, even though Marco's obviously Iron Man, like, that is his role in the group. Right. But I feel like Rachel is some combination of Black Widow and the Hulk, and, like, Cassie is the human part of the Hulk, and Marco is some combination of Iron Man and Black Widow. Okay, I mean, I think that's, I think that's pretty easy. I like it. All right, uh, it is Ted's turn to pick a category. My turn to pick a category, Visser yeah. 3. Visser 3, what a great category. All right, this is a short one. We only have a couple of Visser 3 questions. This is from an anonymous person on Tumblr. Anon says, Do you think Visser 3 ever has con- trouble controlling a new morph? If not, do you think it's because, as a Yurk, he is so used to subduing host minds already? That's interesting. Right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that Yurks, morph-capable Yurks, would not... It's similar to how Tobias is... Because yeah. he's a predator most of the time. It's not as much of a shift. And when they, they carry their previous hosts with them, Mm-hmm. And then their hosts also remember a little bit about the Yurks at the same time. So they have that kind of like shared consciousness thing already. Do you they, think I the Yurks they, absorb something from the morph the way they absorb something from the hosts? That's an interesting take. Like the thing, you know, we saw and, like Rachel saying she was trying to like keep the grace of the cat with her when she was a human. Like maybe so, Yurks are better at that. And maybe thing. that's Visser 3 is acquiring all of these horrible monsters, <gasps> right? So maybe that's maybe just it's making like, him worse and worse. Right, it's leeching into his personality. Ooh. Well, because he presumably, given what we know of the Andalites, he must have gotten almost all of his morphs after oh, yeah. being infested. Oh, yeah. So it makes sense to me that actually he is probably pretty good at ignoring those instincts because otherwise he wouldn't have acquired such a wide range. Mm -hmm. I imagine the first time he did it, if he had kind of 
been uncontrollable, he would have been kind of put down by the other Yerks to some extent. Although maybe not. I mean, he might just not care if he can control these monsters. Because, like, whatever, he, like, slays a bunch of Harkbajir. What if there's a nuance here, which is Yerks have total control over the conscious and subconscious instincts of the bodies they inhabit. Mm -hmm. So Visser 3 isn't morphing. He's infesting Alarin, who is morphing, right? right? So right. it may be that Yurks actually don't have this problem because they have total control over right. the animal yeah, mind. Yeah, that was as kind well of the suggestion, I think. The the human mind, right? So they're they're just it wouldn't be a problem. Maybe like a, a Yurk who loses their Yurk body by morphing would mm. have the same kind of troubles, right? Yeah. But that's not how Visor Three does it. It just occurred to me that Visor Three has all these monster morphs. He must specifically have a network of agents who roam the galaxy looking for the most horrible monsters. And he probably gets, like, messages, like, found a really great one over in this, like, solar system. And he's like, all right, I'll be back in a few days. Time to go get a new morph. <laughs> or maybe he has them bring them to him and they just have to, like, wrangle these horrible monsters onto a ship and then go. I mean, it's got to be something like that, right? Because yeah. he has morphs from all over the universe. Oh, yeah. And you I know, kind of was thinking he got them before the series, but maybe he's still acquiring them. No, I think that explains what he did well, Elfangor was out of commission at the Andalite Chronicles. Mr. <laughs> 3 was just like, sweet Andalite body, I'm going to get promoted and go on like a monster mission. You yeah, know? he got like a special like grant, a travel grant from the Yurk Empire to get as many horrible morphs as he could. Yes. I'm really excited for the Visser 3 Chronicles when we talk about that. Uh, so our other Visser 3 question, I had never thought of this one and I love it. So You Are the Law on Tumblr asked, how exactly does Visser 3 use the Yurk pool? They can't just use the same processes for everyone else. I don't think they have a cage that could hold an Andalite, and especially not one with all the crazy morphs <laughs> Alarin has. Even if he doesn't morph, Alarin's shown that he is willing to die. This and is the most ridiculous He has that tail ball. blade. <laughs> Maybe Visser 3 has some Yurk buddy that he tags out with and trusts not to steal his body, which I say no. There's no possible way that Visser 3 trusts anyone not to steal his Andalite body. How do they possibly I deal with this? I can't believe we've never thought of this before. I know, right? I Okay, so I thought through it. Like I thought of like different ways. Like How would you well, like tie him up? There's no way you could tie him up. He could morph small. You could, I think you could either drug him, which if, Visser 3 would hate, or you could stun him. What if Alarin doesn't have any morphs smaller than a Kafeet bird? Visser 3 is never morphed something really small, right? Yeah, but do they just make him... Does he just morph a Kafeet bird and then get locked into a tiny cage and then... Yeah. <laughs> no, but how would he exit... How would he get out? How would he exit the Kafeet bird's head because right. he's in Z-Space? Right. So I think I think they would have to have Dracon Beam just trained on Alarin, and if he does anything, they would just have to stun him. Yeah, yeah they must just stun him. But I feel like and there is risk. And if you get risk. stunned, can the Yurk escape still? So maybe they just stun him preemptively. No, because I think the Yurk is probably unconscious with you. It seems like what happens to the bodies basically happens to the Yurks. Maybe not. But does he just jump into the Yurk pool and then Alarin? Like, well, I think they, then like, someone else he like probably crouches down. I guess they can't really <laughs> bend over. <laughs> so, so maybe they tilt him over. So what they do is they have one of those um, big claws, like from the claw machine that you ah. see at the malls, and it comes <laughs> down and it grabs him, you know, from the from the waist, and then it picks him up and dumps him head first into the earth pool, right. and then picks him up and suspends him just above the earth pool. Right. And then after they Mr. don't just tip him to the side. Drink. Okay, no. got and it. They put him back down. Yeah. So do you think that any enterprising Yerk would ever try to steal Visitor Three's body? I guess there would have to be, like, a big conspiracy for that, and Visitor 3 is probably, like, killing too many people too often to let a conspiracy build up. 
But I, yeah, I don't. If I were, if I were like Visser Four, I might try that. The way Visser Four is canonically friends with Visser Three. Yes. If I were Visser Five, I might try yeah. that. Or if you're just like some random, like, because I feel like Visser Five has a lot to lose. Like the Council of Thirteen would be like, "What are you doing, stealing Visser Three's body?" But if like random Yerk Two Four Six Zero One, our favorite Yerk, decides, "Hey, I want an Andalite body instead of this, you know, right. stupid human." I don't know. Some opportunity there. Yeah, I feel like... Listen up, Yerks. I feel like the answer must be there's some other, like, MacGuffin technology that exists mm. that Visser 3 uses, and he hoards to himself, because it's just for it's just for this purpose. This is somehow. probably why he's so interested in finding out how to survive without Kandrona race. Kandrona race, right. Mm. Because going to the risk. Yerkul involves so much risk, and he has to, like, you know, prepare to stun his own body. Right. That can't right. be fun. Okay. So those were our Visser 3 questions. Gray, it's your turn. Okay. Let's go with infesting morphed animals, because I think that's Infesting morphed animals, it is! There are a lot of questions here. All right, so these first two scenarios are pretty similar. Uh, this is from an Anon on Tumblr. First, we take a Yerk, then control an Andalite, then have that Andalite morph a Yerk, then use that Yerk to control another Andalite, and then have that Andalite morph a Yerk, and so on. How many layers of this can we have before everyone involved goes insane? <laughs> and I'm also going to read <laughs> one of Rena's comments on our site. I'm also really intrigued by this anamorph with an anamorph idea, with each anamorph morphing a yerk and then infesting the next one. I feel like logistically speaking, it would never have been practical because they would have needed an extra 20 minutes or more just to get all in or all out of morph. And they wouldn't have been able to morph out of danger if needed. Also, I think they would be very uncomfortable with being all in each other's heads like that. Yes, this scenario. There are several things about this scenario. <laughs> First of all, not as many minds as you think, because the Yerks that are being morphed don't have Yerk minds. They just have Yerk instincts. True, right? True, so it's it, just yeah. a way to get Andalites. There's one Yerk controlling and Andalites. So the, the minds don't get as crowded as quickly as possible. Right? I still think just by how we read the question, one. Because how many layers can we have before <laughs> I'm going to involve one layer? <laughs> yerk. Andalite, Yerk, and now we're done. <laughs> the other thing about this is, does your morphing clock advance in Z space? <gasps> Whoa! Right, so, so the Andalite morphs a Yerk, and the morphing clock is two hours, but then the Yerk uh-huh. infests an Andalite. Who, At that point, morphs? does that Yerk's... I think, I think the, t- the two-hour time limit is for the outer layer. Because yeah, that's the way being an alpha so. works, right? But, you know, whatever happens after two hours, it's over. So, so that's it's it's the physical morphing limit. So if it takes, if they're all really, exp- how long does it take to infest someone for the first time as a yerk? Mm. How long does it take Jake? Seemed like a few minutes. A few minutes. So let's say like pretty aggressively, three minutes to infest, two minutes to morph. Right? But also, then you can it get. It seems like if you've already infested once, it's like pretty instantaneous. Like when people get reinfested from the yerk pool, they're like instantly fine. So I think if you've done this before to this. Uh, if this is like a repeat. <clears throat> so if you can practice, no, but the Yerk loses the experience. So is it the Yerk's experience with the host? <laughs> or is it the, the mind's experience controlling it? But I think I mean, you have to have the, the same here. set of Andalites acquiring Yerks and then infesting each other. No, 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 but the Yerks that they're morphing in order to do the acquiring are new Yerk bodies who have never encountered that particular Andalite before. But if we take, you know, the sort of the sort of duality of the Animorphs universe and say that the Andalite who's morphed this year has had this experience. It's sort of like how when you've morphed an animal, like when you morph it the second time, you kind of know how to deal with it. I feel like if you've so morphed a year, you can So we think the Yerk possession, Yerk controlling-ness probably works like morphing in that regard. Probably, sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Or maybe it's just something that, like, maybe 
anyone, any other Yurk would have an easy time infesting Jake because he's been infested by another Yurk before. But you know why this would be, when this would be really useful, is if they all need to go somewhere and they know they're going to have to... Oh, it's like, like a clown car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they have to if, they, clown car. if they all need to go somewhere and they can't show their human forms, and so they need Axe to be the only visible person, but they can't all morph fleas because they'd have to demorph every two hours. But if they're all sort of in Z space and then Axe morphs, they're all in Z space. All five animorphs are in Z space, so their morphing clocks aren't ticking. No, 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 but I think the morphing clocks do tick. Oh, okay. I well, then that's less Nothlet. useful. So I think okay. I think the max you can I have. Oh, no. I think the max that you can have is about thirty, thirty layers deep, because <laughs> and that would just be morphing and demorphing mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with very little. It's like two minutes to go each way, very little time to spare. But would there be a reason to do this? <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> not. We should have started there. <laughs> okay, this is another thought from Rena that like. If a yerk infests a gorilla and then it demorphs, could it only come back if it visualized itself while morphing the gorilla? So she thinks that it's kind of like morphing clothing where, like, if you go into a gorilla's head and the gorilla demorphs to a human, then the yerk is in Z space and you can get it back the way Axe gets back his clothing when he morphs a human again. So I think the problem that we have with this is that that only works if you infest the morpher, not the morphed animal. Because Marco gets his clothes back when he goes back to his original body. But the yeah, but gorilla... Axe gets his clothes back when he morphs human again. Do we know that? Yes. Oh, yeah, because he's good yeah. at it. He has, like, a technique. She... Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. right, because they yeah. say you're not you don't wear any clothes. Then yeah, like, don't forget your clothing. And then he's like, oh, right. right. And but, he, like, puts the So, I mean, it, it, I think it depends on the duality of the universe again. But, <laughs> but based on the idea that if, if Fisher 3 has no problem controlling an animal, maybe it is that a yurk infesting a gorilla would have full control for, control over the gorilla mind, but the, the anamorph would have a battle with the yurk for control oh. in the way that, you know, you That's sort of have to master point. the... So maybe the, maybe the yurk would just... Maybe just the anamorph would now be morphing a, an infested gorilla and they would have <laughs> control over, you know, a conscious yurk. So if the anamorph doesn't morph the gorilla then the yurk is just kind of gone. Yes. The way Axe isn't like, doesn't have clothing when he's in his Andalite form. Oh, that's convenient. Right. So maybe they know it's a really bad idea, which is why they never do it. Ah, But of course, they also haven't infested Axe when he's been in his Andalite form several times. Well, that's because Visser 3 is competitive. That's because of Visser 3's insecurities. Yeah. Okay. That that is it for infesting morphed animals. All right. Please let us have characters slash relationships. Time to bring out the big guns. Oh, we have a couple observations from Rena, who has just been leaving us the nicest long comments on all of our episodes, and it's just lovely. She has some insight into Cassie and Rachel. This was before we got some of the books in the teens. This was at book four. Uh, she was saying, I wonder if Cassie's inability to be as insightful with Rachel is because she's too close to her. Like, she's not as insightful with her family members for the same reason. Which I feel like is a good point. We don't see her really having the same insight into her parents. And then she also points out that she and Rachel's relationship is based more on the fact that they each stand for some quality that the other lacks. And they are both somewhat outsiders in different ways, but neither cares. That's a good point. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cassie's not like a super empath who like knows everything about everyone. She still, you know, overlooks her friend's flaws and like... Yeah. She's sort of better with people who aren't like super in her inner circle. Makes sense. Although she's pretty insightful about herself. Ooh. 
which usually, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. Like if you have a blind spot for things that are that close to you, maybe mm-hmm. you would have one for yourself. Yeah. She doesn't seem to. But I'd also argue that one of the things about being incredibly close best friends, especially at 13, is an ability to overlook all of the ways in which you really, if you had met as grownups, maybe would not be friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. because you're That's 13. That's so true. And it reminds me of what I was saying in 17 about the thing where Rachel's like, wait, but if Cassie doesn't know what's right, what am I going to do? It's like this thing where yeah. Cassie is this thing, has this ability that she lacks, and like Rachel has these things that Cassie lacks, like this incredible confidence and right, right, ability right. to yeah. march it, anything. It would actually be pretty devastating to Cassie if she acknowledged how much Rachel was as indecisive and suffering as she is. <laughs> uh, Rena also has the insight, which I will say I do not like, <laughs> in regards to how tall the Animorphs should be. Multiple websites agree that the average height for a 13-year-old boy or girl is 5'1". Jenny, multiple websites agree. <laughs> well said, It has Rena. to be right. Uh, though boys are usually slightly taller... Uh, so I can find it very believable that Jake at a little over five feet would be a big guy by early teen standards. I disagree. If he's a little over five feet, he's an average guy. (laughs) He would have to be significantly taller than that to be a big guy. Maybe it's just an entire group of people where Rachel's the only one who's hit her girth spurt. (laughs) Yeah, I still like the idea that all the Animorphs are five feet. Jake is five foot two and Rachel is five foot nine. (laughs) Hilarious image. Okay, so Rena also wants to share... The story of Tobias not being blonde. The Tobias model has a funny story. His hair wasn't oh, supposed to... Oh, the cover model. Yes, yes, the cover okay. model. Yeah. Not actual... Actual Tobias is blonde. His hair wasn't supposed to be that dark, but he was already under contract, so they had to use him. But he was definitely supposed to be properly blonde. I will agree with you on the 90s bowl cut. So glad that was a passing fad. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't their fault. I really feel like they probably could have doctored the photo, but it was the 90s. Maybe that was harder then. Also, at some point, we should do a throwback Thursday, and I will provide <laughs> the picture of me with a 90s bowl cut. <gasps> it's yes. very bad. It's I'm so, so bad. excited. We have to post this on Twitter. <laughs> it's the worst, you guys. It was a very bad haircut. I blame my parents. That's amazing. It turns out uh, things that you should not have that are bad combinations with the bowl cut include but are not limited to curly hair. oh no oh my gosh that's real bad you guys okay so KS left a comment on our site with some insight into Axe and this is about book 12 with the Hereth Elint or the burping DNA I like to think that the reason Axe's knowledge is so spotty in general but he knows so much about this one specific thing is that he like 13 year olds everywhere was excited at the thought of something this gross (laughs) <laughs> it's so true it's such a good point it just really hits the nail on the head yeah so like what gross science facts Perfect. do you guys know like that you learned in middle school okay so there's definitely the like with the flies in general what with the flies well I mean you know flies like liking poop the way that they mm. expel their stomachs right. in order to digest things I think that would be interesting lots of uh, sex animal facts I think I would have right really yeah like turtles too. snails uh, ducks have corkscrew penises. Oh, yeah, oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's the snail thing where they bite their hermaphrodites and they will occasionally bite the penis off the other slug while they're having sex. Oh, no. Yeah, which I found very fascinating as a 13 year old. 
So we're going to move on to a really big and serious question, which I don't think we're going to be able to fully address here, but we can give some thoughts on it. I think we're going to need the rest of the series to address this. But Alex sent us an email. His question for discussion is basically discussion on how the books deal with what is basically accelerated maturation through the circumstances of each adventure and force children into decisions and actions that they're not necessarily emotionally equipped for and how that seems to be hardening them over the course of the series. That's a great insight, Alex. It's it's a big question. Good what, point. What do you think, Ray? I mean, they are essentially child soldiers. Yeah. Have we pointed out yeah. before. And in fact, they point this out to, amongst themselves. They're not, none of them are going to get out of this without serious drama. Yeah. And this was actually my take, like re-listening to 17 a little bit. I think someone brought this up at the time, but I came away, like I was kind of expecting, because they're, they're pretty mature kids in some, in some circumstances. Yeah. And like, I was expecting Rachel to have more empathy, to have more empathy for the guy that they rescued. For George Edelman. Yeah. yeah, George Edelman. That's his name. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably a team of child soldiers would be pretty callous. So, like, it's... It, and in general, you know, they're not that callous. Yeah, but, like, but you know, they, like, it's like why yeah. they have to deal with all of this all of this traumatic stuff all the time. You could see why? how, like, they're being pushed to deal with trauma, but maybe their empathy isn't catching up with it. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, I think it's important to keep in mind how young they are. I think I forget. Yeah. I think I even yeah. treat them as, like, older teens when well, I think about Well, you sort of have them. to, like, when you read books from a character's perspective, you can't constantly be, like, infantilizing them in your mind. Like, you kind of have to enter into the perspective. Right, right. And... That does make them seem older to me, especially because I was their age when I was reading the books. Oh, so yeah, yeah, It yeah. felt... Yeah, and I was younger, so I was yeah. like, oh, they're so mature. <laughs> yeah. I also want to bring up something that uh, another friend and listener mentioned to me recently. Um, hi, John. His point, which I think is a good one, is that I am very hard on these kids. Oh, yeah. I really am. And I have my ex- expectations for them for their decision making, mm-hmm. for their ability to kind of plan and, and be tactical and organized, and for their empathy is really expecting them to <laughs> rise to a standard that is completely unfair for a group of 13-year-olds who were thrown into this situation, and it's basically outside of their control. They did not ask for this, and they really are rising to the occasion in a way that I don't give them credit for. So yeah. he's quite right about that. And I will need to keep that in mind as we go forward <laughs> that I'm being very hard on them. Yeah. The thing that I love about it, one of the, I mean, this thing that Alex brings up is one of the things that I absolutely love about the series, yeah, which is that even though it's super episodic and it's like, oh, wacky sci-fi romp, the authors, I think, pretty clearly have in mind that the toll that this kind of thing would take oh, yeah. on anyone, much mm-hmm. less a group of, of kids. So I think it's really important that the series tries to address it. And maybe, you know, it doesn't always do a great job or whatever, but I, I think the um, it's kind of hard. It's, I feel like it's kind of hard. Like, I have a lot of foreknowledge about whether these issues are addressed more or wrapped up or not. <laughs> but we're and seeing so, them a lot, like, now as we're, like, the Certainly the last three or four books. Yeah, yeah, 15 through 17 was all, like... Stuff is starting to be really hard. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was hard in the beginning, but now stuff is starting to build up. And I, I feel like this kind of escalation is just not... I don't know any other like really long-running middle-grade series that does that <laughs> in the same way. Right, like it's, most of them are like things kind of reset. Like I think the, yeah. it, the kids in the Babysitter's Club were... 13 for like 100 plus books they sometimes their life circumstances change but like they're babysitting they weren't like fighting a war they didn't it didn't affect them in the same way right and even you know even something like i guess maybe more of the stuff that gets written these days is like harry potter where it's like in the in the mold of like oh it's an epic so of course things yeah. will escalate and then there's the climax the big confrontation 
But these books are not like that at all. No. It's every episode is just like a little battle, you know, and it's like maybe moving towards this larger thing. But, you know, it doesn't you know, seem to have that kind of implied, like, narrative momentum. I was just thinking, like, I I feel like it's a little weird how out of order I read these books. Because now I would never pick up a series and read them out of order. But looking back on it, like, the series that I'd read at the time in this world were like, you know, I read like Sweet Valley Twins. I read like Babysitter's Club. Like, these books where it didn't matter what order you read them in. Mm -hmm. There was always a summary chapter at the beginning and it was just sort of, you could read their adventures in any order because things kind of changed a little, but like not really, like the Mm -hmm. weight of the story didn't change. And so I just approached Animorphs like that and it sort of worked, but like, of course I thought it was fine to do that because I was coming at it from like such a different literary context. Right. The idea of the sort of military conflicts and the way that those build, I, I recently reread um, uh, one of the books in the Redwall series by mm-hmm. Brian Shock, which was one of the things I read over and over again as a kid. And they are not uh, serialized in the way that these are. It's not mm-hmm. the same characters in each of the 20 some odd books. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different set of characters all in the same universe. And through time and, and so on, um, things change, but each book is, is its own epic, right? So they're quite long mm-hmm. in comparison to the Animorphs. And in those, you do see characters growing and changing and becoming hardened by war, mm-hmm. but still coming back to that as a solution mm-hmm. in a way that I think is a little bit reflective here of recognizing that when you have a pattern of behavior that sort of we have learned that fighting is really the only solution to this problem yeah. as it is in both books because there is an unstoppable you know that is the actual form, only solution yeah that it becomes you get a, a second generation or a third generation where they're still idolizing these warriors of the mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. because that's the only way that they know how to yeah. view life but you don't see within the same book the trauma that an individual character kind of gets yeah that's so interesting that they get updated but it's the narratives aren't that connected. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of like the Discworld novels, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a much larger rotating cast of characters mm-hmm. and those characters do change and evolve. But I think more so characters are static and they do kind of one thing. So mm-hmm. he can, the author can use them less and less as it goes on because he doesn't actually want them to change. He wants to like keep them in his back pocket. And mm-hmm. so I sort of feel like the, the roles that the Animorphs inhabit in the group, it's interesting that there's that tension where like Marco can only develop so much because he always has to kind of end up being the sort of jokester again mm-hmm. by the end of the book. You know, so they are, they are kind of changing, but because of that, you can read them in any order. Uh, they can't really have like a, you know, end of season two shift where suddenly they're doing something totally different and that would be really off-putting to someone who skipped the last five books yeah so this was actually a question i'd put under predictions for gray which is a different category of questions but i'm gonna ask it now because it's related someone named geshtiana sg on reddit asks how do you think the kids have changed since the start and what do you think they will become at the end of about halfway let's say book 25 do you think they will stay in the five-man band this is obviously a question only for gray (laughs) Well, what's interesting about that is they have already started to move away from the strict five-man band because there's now six of them. Well, that is true. And that leads to some really interesting ways for them to play with those roles. And one of the things we've seen and talked a lot about is the ways in which they struggle with their roles within the band. So Mm -hmm. Rachel struggling with being the warrior, Jake's issues with leadership, and Marco's issues... You know, being the humor. And I wonder if one of the ways that they will develop is to 
adjust those rules slightly. Mm -hmm. And you sort of see that a little bit with Jake encouraging other people to take on leadership for very specific missions. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if there'll be sort of more of that where, you know, Axe is kind of taking on some of Marco's break the tension, be the lieutenant. Tobias is taking on some of Cassie's be the the heart of the group. Yeah, you know, and, and be I, the conscience. And the conscience of the group, exactly. Um, so I think there's some sense in which they are adjusting out of those strict rules. But I think the basic structure is going to continue with, you know, Jake as the leader, Mark as the lieutenant, and so on. Mostly because this is sort of, as you say, it's related to the, like, at the end of season two, you're not going to all of a sudden get Rachel having a change of heart and becoming, like, the eyes in the sky and, like, yeah. never fighting again, <laughs> right? Like, that's would seem hey, we don't know. very difficult. <laughs> My prediction is that won't happen. <laughs> I do think, I wonder how much, I hope that they are going to change by halfway through to think more about the long-term strategy because mm-hmm. it still seems like they're kind of like, okay, the Andalite's going to come back any minute now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they mm-hmm. haven't actually said that, right? That's not... Yeah, not they, since... Not for a long time. Yeah, they're, they they haven't really talked about the end game is we're just holding them off for the Andalites, which would probably be what I was focusing on. But I wonder if there's going to be more where they're thinking, is this the best use of our time? Like, Jake occasionally says that, right? Should we really be yeah. focusing on this or three's twin brother dude? Joe Bob Finestre. Joe Bob Finestre. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is this something that we could kind of put off? Yeah. I, I want them to spend more time yeah. examining that impulse. Yeah, yeah, like the thing that happened in Eleven where he's like, should we do this? And then he's like, yes. And then like time looped. So he and they ended up not having to do it. But right. like that was a decision he could have made at the beginning to sure. just not go into the grocery store. Yeah. Learn more from that, Jake. <laughs> One of the things that I like, I was trying to think about a way, like, I can't predict what's going to come, but one of the it's things that I picked unknown. up on the reread, exactly, yeah, <laughs> the that moment in Eleven where Jake, for the first time, is like, oh, yeah, and Hork-Bajira may be okay, <laughs> right? Like, that that shift in kind of seeing the mm-hmm. that it's not quite as black and white as Elfangor explains in the, you know, second or third chapter of the first book, or the way that, you know even though Cassie still fills that role in the group, the way in like 17, she's a little disillusioned because of what yeah. happened in 16. Very interesting. I guess maybe the way to put that is that now that they've established the dynamic, you can play around with it by like, what if not Cassie? Like, what <laughs> yeah. if not Marco? That's a really good point. <laughs> so we have two more questions in the characters relationships category. Uh, Jeff on Facebook wants to know, do y'all think Jake murdered Fenestre at the end of 16? Which I saw that and was like, oh, we already talked about that. And then I was like, wait, murdered? Huh. Did Jake murder You know, that's, that, never, that never occurred to me. <laughs> but like, me. The book does not say that Fenestre dies. Right. But we also don't know that he's still alive. I just read it as now he doesn't have his home to hide in anymore. Right, but right. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Do you think he also secretly murdered him? Yeah, because they burned down the house because the deal was if you never right, leave your house right. again, if you leave your house again, we will be able I to mean, kill you. I mean, maybe they burned out the house. Maybe it just caught fire. Sure. Right, that happens. Sure. But Jake burned down the house. So did he burn down the house so that he could, without reneging on his promise, just murder him a whole lot? <laughs> Way to go, Jake! <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I feel like this must... I feel like if the Animorphs ever execute somebody, it's going to be a big deal. And uh-huh. so to have it happen off screen in book 16 is like, I'm not on board with that. Yeah, I don't think it really happens. Yeah. But That's a really interesting take, though. The consensus does seem to be that it is more likely than it is not that Jake did burn down the house, at least. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. 
I mean, our consensus. Oh, <laughs> I thought this was something that oh, no. we were learning from Reddit. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I just studies mean, have like, shown. Gray seems to believe very strongly. I feel like, Ted, you also believe very strongly. And I think it's more likely than not that Jake burned down the house, right. though I want to preserve that question. Okay, but Jake burned down the house. <laughs> okay, so Phase Wave on Reddit wants us to discuss why Tobias works so well as a trans allegory. Again, a big question. I feel like we covered a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Are there things we want to say more about it at this point? Or I feel like I don't have a lot of authority to declare why That's it does definitely true. work. I feel like the something about the experience of being trapped in the wrong body is like mm-hmm. so relatable and universal mm-hmm. in maybe a way that's helpful as kind of like a, in the way that explicit representation can be limiting sometimes. That's something we talked about yeah, yeah. like early on. Yeah. So I, I feel like the fact that it works so well to get those feelings across to someone like me, who at the time probably didn't understand anything about yeah. what it might be like to be trans. It's, I think it still works as a metaphor, and I love it as a metaphor. I think it's really beautiful that that community has felt a connection with Tobias, and especially because he is such an incredibly you know kind and loving character that... It's nice to be able to have that connection. I wonder how much scholarship there is on, like, are, have other people written about this? Is it just that one person? That one article? Or, or I don't know. You know, I, I want to know if I'm there sure are there's a lot of, there. like, people who talked in communities and fandom. I don't know if yeah. there's, like, other published articles or anything. More people write in. Yeah. There's something very powerful about, like, the idea, especially in 13, where there's no there's no way for him to really be in the body that he wants, even though he's sort of able to approximate it a little bit. I also, we don't, we haven't seen a lot of this in the books, but having a supportive potential partner in Rachel is probably mm. a really great thing. Just that she's like, well, he's, he's a boy, right? He's not a bird, right? Like the, that doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, like we talked about, we've almost complained about it before that she doesn't, reflect on their relationship but actually <laughs> yeah. it's kind mm-hmm. of sweet that it's so unproblematic for her she's not yeah. like worried at all she she yeah. accepts him for who he is yeah i do love that this episode is also brought to you by daps and lumber your go-to source for all of your tree cutting needs do you have andalite bandits cut down that unsightly forest that's giving them shelter if you build it they will come you know it happens to all of us but i can tell you that you can have an erection for more than two hours. Try Viagra Nothlet. Now with Extra Happy. Hey, Gray Ellie Shamtul Jahar. Where are you off to in such a rush? Well, Jennifer Karath Serenial, I'm about to rush through the meadow over and over again for hours just to get dinner. It takes such a long time, doesn't it? It really does. That's why I've started ordering from Blue and Tan Apron. Blue and Tan Apron? What's that? Well, they deliver all of your grass needs right to your door. All you have to do is combine the ingredients, which is just grass, and you have a complete dinner instantly. How does it work? Well, fortunately, here in Andalite Society, we don't have any money, so you just have to sign up. It's so easy. That does sound easy. I'll mind link you the website. Thank you, Jenna Fangor, Karath Serenial. You're I'm- welcome, Gray Ali Shamtul Jahar. All right, Gray, what's next? Okay, uh, tough choices for us. Ooh, good call. Okay. Ugh, such a tough choice. <laughs> All right, from a non on Tumblr, if you had to be a Nothlet, which animal would you choose? Human. <laughs> that is a Can great we move choice. On? <laughs> All right, I'm going to say if you had to be a non human Nothlet, what would you choose? Candlelight. Okay. Yeah. Can I be a, an alien of some kind? Yeah. Yeah, you can. I mean, I would probably still go with some sort of bird of prey, even though Andalites are cool. Because you still couldn't really be part of human society very easily. 
And also you couldn't fly. I would go for the flying. Oh, I guess an Andalite Nothlet still can't morph, huh? I no, an Andalite Nothlet can't morph. Right. Oh, yeah. I might be a house cat. Yeah. You'll see how I specified house cat. Because <laughs> I would like the life that my cats have. It yeah, just okay. occurs to me that this question is, if morphing were real, but the Andorphs universe wasn't real. Yes, that is what the question is. <laughs> so Andalite is not at all a valid answer. <laughs> I'd be I'd morph a time lord. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> Could they but, morph yeah. the Elemist? Yes, you can morph the Elemist. That's going to be one of my future predictions. Okay. Are you going to become an Elemist Nothlet? Yeah. All right, great. Phenomenal cosmic power. What would you do with all that self <laughs> You have to live inside the uh, time matrix, though. It's the <laughs> space. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of Disney villains, Elemist is Jafar. Okay. Would you rather fight one Andalite-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized Andalites? <laughs> so let's rehash the arguments. I mean, there's an obvious answer. <laughs> <laughs> there is an obvious answer. You always pick the one thing, not the hundred things, especially when the hundred things are Andalites with their sharp tail, right. tail thing. Let's just replace, they can probably morph. Let's replace this with a question that should explain why <laughs> this is the clear choice. What if it was a hundred scorpions? You wouldn't pick a hundred scorpions, and no. andalites are strictly more dangerous. <laughs> also, like one andalite-sized duck, like ducks aren't great, but like that's not going to be that bad. Andalite-sized goose—that would be scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. They should have said goose. That would be much scarier. Okay, uh, here's a question from D, who sent us an email. Any chance y'all would read through Everworld? <gasps> Yeah, it's got an even smaller fan base than Animorphs, and the Animorph survival doesn't seem to have spilled over much, but I liked it as the t- at the time as a slightly older, even edgier fantasy to Animorphs' middle-grade sci-fi. And I reread it a few years back, and it holds up reasonably well. It even dresses race and sexuality a little bit. So, Dee, I have exciting news. For my birthday, my friend gave me seven of the eight first Everworld books that he found in a used bookstore. Woo! So this actually might happen. I would have said <laughs> no chance because I never read them and I, there's no nostalgia factor. But yeah. I'm going to check them out. Jenny, you read them when you were younger, right? I read them. I didn't love them. I didn't attach, like, the characters just didn't grab me the way that the Animorphs did. Mm-hmm. I found them a little bit harder. I never read Everworld at the time because I resented them because it wasn't the Animorphs. Yeah, that's true. And Kay Applegate wasn't spending all of her time That is true. She wrote them, yeah, during, like, the second half of the Animorphs. I have picked up two of her more recent books, which mm. are standalone kind of middle grade fiction. Mm-hmm. Didn't she win a Newbery? She didn't. She won a Newbery for, wow. was it the tree nice. one, maybe? Uh, so the next question from Rena on our site. Wait, I'm super curious now. What is the creepiest question that anyone has ever asked that you reference in the post credit stinger? Do you guys remember what it is? Because I do. Which episode was it? I didn't write that down. Uh, it was, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of what we We've did. talked about so many horrible, horrible things. I mean, I remember what, what it was. All right. Well, <laughs> please remind us of the depravity. The question was... Oh, I do remember. <laughs> I just remembered. It was Grace's question, I believe. Are Andalites kosher? <laughs> <laughs> I had completely forgotten we had that conversation. <laughs> I just want to provide a tiny bit of context, <laughs> which is... There is a Tumblr post about someone had a dream in which they had a conversation about whether Furbies are kosher. (laughs) And someone responded and said, Furbies are not kosher because in kosher tradition, you can't eat anything that's alive and Furbies can never die. (laughs) Which is both the best and creepiest possible answer. And so I read that and was like, huh, what about Andalites? (laughs) 
And we had a long conversation about whether they are. Which and got cut. Yes, for good reasons. It was a very creepy and weird conversation, and I'm yeah. sorry I brought it up. <laughs> okay, last question under Tough Choices for Us. From Anne-Marie on Facebook. If you were Visser 3, how would you try and take down the Andalite bandits? Right? The power. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think through basically like counter-surveillance. The Yurk operation should have no problem identifying where the Andalite bandits are. The kind of thing that they do in Book 9 where they're mowing down the forest mm. is like the least subtle version of that plan, <laughs> right? Yeah. But you have to figure Andalites, you know, they must be coming and going from certain places. They must do other things, you know, mm-hmm. set up a surveillance network. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. how you, that's how you catch them. Do I... things that they have to show up and stop, yeah. right? Yeah. Like they'll stage a lot more things where you expect them to, to show up and get mm-hmm. trapped. I mean, frankly, some of their plans have already worked relatively well. Bring back the Valik. <laughs> there wasn't only one of them. Yeah. Right? I mean, one you probably have died. to engineer another swarm, but now they know how to do it. But in the process of doing that, they had at least two of the Animorphs on their ship. Yeah. Just infest them when you catch them. Take advantage of when you have caught them. I think also the thing in Book 10 where maybe it was actually your trap to get the Andalite bandits into this room with the Pemolite crystal... Like, then just seal the room. Pipe in some sort of gas, you know, knocks Andalites out. Or, like, even that would knock the animals out. And, like, you know, you've got them. Yeah. I also think there should be enough reports of weird animal activity to be able to say, okay, so they are within a two-hour radius of these places, and you can kind of, like, you should be able to figure out. Yeah, like, they pretty much know where they're based. Right. I mean, get those bird watchers on board and you're all set. (laughs) Actually, that's basically it would be, you know that you don't have, you don't know enough about earth animals. So it's just like infest everyone at the gardens and figure out as much as you can about the different animals. Bonus, you'd have infested Cassie's mom. Right. And that's got to be useful. Right. Okay. That is it for that category. So, Ted, it's your turn. Let's talk about episode amendments. Okay. There's a lot of stuff in this category. Great. So first, we have a note from Poop Bond on Tumblr, who's calling us on something that I feel like I should have known, but I did not. In episode 11, you mentioned being confused by why the Animorphs would know Wayne Gretzky if they live in California. Wayne Gretzky was actually pretty famously traded to the LA Kings in the late 80s and played there till 96 and is widely credited for popularizing hockey on the West Coast. So it's pretty reasonable that the kids in the 90s would have remembered watching Gretzky play and be big fans. Which is a great point. Thank you. I didn't know any of that. But why did you think, Jenny... You should have known that. Well, I tend to know a lot about... No, I know a lot about hockey, but I don't know a lot about hockey history. I know a lot about hockey in, like, the last five years. Yeah, that makes sense. So... No, this is a good correction. I know Poop Bond IRL. He may come on Animorphology in the future. Mm. Good. He can call us on other history history things that we have almost certainly gotten. The one where they all morph a uh, basketball team. That's going to be great. Jake doesn't even have to morph because he's super tall. (laughs) So Nanan on Tumblr points out, very good point, even if all the insane Yerks, this is in response to book 17, uh, just decide to hunker down in people's brains forever, they are not necessarily doomed. We already know from book two of the Yerk Bane that can literally suck the Yerks out of people's heads. Good point. Huh. So they just need to give everyone the oatmeal and then get a Yerk Bane in there. I mean, they need to get a Yerk Bane in there. In in any way, yes. Does the host survive? Oh, you know... I don't know if we know, because it was just an illusory Yerk Bane, right? No, he turned into a real Yerk Bane. But but it was in hologram form, right? So we didn't see a Yerk Bane get used. So So we don't know for sure. Yeah, it's a good avenue to explore. Yeah, we can practice on Rachel should make that connection. She's not a very good exobiologist. (laughs) Okay, so Rena points out, in response to book nine, 
Uh, actually, funny thing though, tomato juice, despite its popularity as a skunk smell neutralizer, doesn't actually work like that. Oh no! I know, this is a very important thing for all our listeners to know. I did not know this. What do you do instead, Rena? Okay, so apparently tomato juice is just strong, a strong enough but tolerable smell that it covers up enough of the skunk smell to make it slightly more bearable. Instead, a mixture of peroxide, baking soda, and liquid detergent should be used, which I would definitely Google a recipe for that. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, so in <laughs> fact, maybe grape juice will also work because it has a strong smell. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, anything that smells bad. Yeah. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> if you can get a different skunk to spray you, you'll smell like a different skunk spray instead. So I have an episode amendment. Can I just jump in? Oh, sure. This please is, go for it. This is uh, from another IRL friend, Emily, who I also hope to get on the podcast one day if we can figure out the remote mm-hmm. recording situation. Um, but she was listening to 14 recently. Um, and wanted to point out that something we speculated about is not as unreasonable as we thought. So I'm going to show you a video. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, we can, we'll probably we'll just cut it. it yeah, but. to Twitter and stuff. This is a horse. <gasps> oh, clever baby. Horses, in fact, do have very strong lips. Look at that clever If you've ever had boy. a horse eat a carrot out of your hand, you know, yes. they are surprisingly able to just latch on to things and pull they it out. They are. I just wouldn't have expected wow. them to be So this is a video much. of Horse Dini. They've put two <laughs> latches on Horse Dini's stall, but he manages to get to the lower one as well and open them wow. and escape. Never um, and Emily was yeah. saying that actually, like in a lot of places, it's not unusual to have a badly behaved horse who's always getting out <laughs> and doing getting up to shenanigans. Bloody this is amazing. Yeah. So that's... Bad on us for doubting K.A. Applegate. It's true. And her animal facts. Rena Gale had a comment on this also. While it is very possible for horses to open stall doors, racehorse stalls are generally a lot more secure because the horses in them are kind of valuable. Mm. So, although it seems like Horse Dini, they also were trying to make the stall secure and they just couldn't make it secure enough. Mm -hmm. So, who knows? It's clear that that racetrack is not very well run. That's yes. true, which might address Rena's other point about it, which is that it's very likely that she was disqualified at the end. She cut off another horse's path, and they could file foul depending on how close she got. <laughs> and given that the real Max had no evidence of being run, it's likely his win would be invalid medically as well. So I love that point. <laughs> I know! Apparently they check on these things. She says maybe that's why she didn't say what exactly happened afterwards. <laughs> Just <laughs> I ignore our all I the reason my results were... <laughs> Medically invalidated. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe she, no, but maybe she had the medical exam to determine before she morphed back. So maybe she did <laughs> maybe, get the prize. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay, another animal related, not exactly correction, amendment. She finds Cassie's guilt over killing the termite queen to be a bit of an overreaction. Because she keeps talking about how she doomed the whole colony, but if termites are anything like ants, there are certainly new baby queens running around, usually sent off to start new colonies of their own, and one of them can easily become the new queen of this one. So Cassie didn't doom hundreds of bugs or even destroy the entire colony like she feared. It was just the one, but she might not know that. Good point. That's true. So that's very comforting mm-hmm. with regard to the fate of that termite colony. They're also just termites. I love Cassie, but she cares way more about termites than I do. <laughs> she cares more about termites than almost anyone, but then most yep. of us have not been termites, so it's hard to compare our experiences. In general, I think Cassie could probably stand to take a deep breath once in a while and it's true. let things go. So Rena addresses one of our questions about, like, why the heck don't Andalites have books? She points out that a society that lives on grass and has talking trees is very unlikely to use those items to make paper and books in bulk. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Accepted. Right? Why is Zach's not kind of horrified, like, though, by... Actually, yeah. Maybe not all the trees talk. I think not all the trees talk. And he does seem to understand that human trees don't talk, because he pointed out these trees don't talk. And they right. must still get fuel from somewhere. It's true. They must like, have some stuff that runs on fuel. Yeah. They probably they didn't just, jump straight to solar power. Maybe they just power. pump fuel out of sea space. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I have a couple of other Andalite episode follow-ups, specifically about episode 18, but okay. kind of in general. Go for it. Um, this is from my IRL friend, John, who uh, mentioned that he loves learning more about the Andalite military structure and is way more sympathetic to the way they think about the universe than we are. It's a direct function of how one has to train for war, making people do things without thinking about it. That's good training and keeps people alive, even if it doesn't look that way from outside. And that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that we had complained about was the lack of autonomy in their society. But he follows it by saying uh, he now finds it even weirder that Axe accepts Jake as his prince. Mm. Axe is a full warrior at this point, even if he hasn't been technically promoted. Elfengor had done less than Axe when Arbron promoted him to warrior. To the extent that Jake is the leader and there always has to be a leader, I kind of get it. But it's weird that Axe even still thinks of himself as an Aris. I think it's a really good point. Like, although no one leader, who has but... the authority has promoted him, so yeah, sure. That's but really interesting. you know, Jake doesn't al- also doesn't have that authority necessarily. Yeah, so I also think Axe doesn't. If Axe wanted the authority, he would take it. Yeah. If he were mm. Elfangor, he would he would do it. But <laughs> right. I think, I think that's one way in which they're different. What would have happened if Elfangor, Elfangor, circa the beginning of the Andalite Chronicles, had tried to join the Anwarfs? Would there have been a power battle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jake would have taken him out. <laughs> well, Jake also has a lot of allies, and Elfinger would have been alone, and yeah. also was incredibly naive. They would not have gotten along. Yeah, no. Okay, one more point from Rena about our episodes. This one's about 13. I thought that the Tax and Bloodhounds introduced a bit of a plot hole. How did the trackers not notice that some of their prey had scents that started, stopped, and were joined by other new scents out of the blue? No one ever seems concerned that the tracker would notice and comment on the sudden presence of human smell. Yep. I mean, yeah, good point. 100%. <laughs> One of many plot holes. And we haven't seen the Texan. Like, if you have Texan bloodhounds, that also seems like a useful thing for... Like, you don't need to go many all the purposes. way back to Saturn to get something <laughs> that can hunt the Animorphs. Yes. Like, you can just track them good. with the Texan. So we're going to add this to our strategies for when we're Vista 3 trying to right. track the Animorphs. I feel like, I feel like Texan bloodhounds... I bet what it is is that they seem really scary, but actually they're just like normal Texans that are like... When I'm out running in the woods, I can eat tons of things, right? Like, <laughs> that's probably just, it's mostly a fake operation. That seems like They're it. like, yes, we're, we're good at tracking. Yeah. <laughs> Let us out into the woods with the animals, thanks. Right. <laughs> okay, great. It's your turn. Time travel. Time travel. Time travel. So great. We've seen at least four books that have time travel in them so far. How many more Animorphs books will have time travel as a plot device before the end of the series? Okay, so 54 books. Plus, there are oh, oh, oh. there Andalite are sixty two books. Sixty two books, great. And we've so far we've seen four, including Andalite Chronicles, that have time travel in them. How much more are we going to be time traveling? I think we're going to be time time traveling nine more times. Nine okay. more times. All right. All right. We got a specific answer. It's down Let's there. go on. Okay. <laughs> so, and Anon on Tumblr thanks us for articulating the theory about the pocket universe in Andalite Chronicles. As for what happened with the real universe, I always figured that Lauren was assumed to have run away. 
She's a super sad Like for five years? Yeah, so they write, We know that her father suffers from PTSD and that her siblings grow up to be neglectful, at least, to Tobias. So sadly, I think it makes sense that her disappearance wouldn't be all that surprising. Right. I forgot that those were Lauren's siblings. They must be. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So that's a really, really sad... Lauren had canon. Right. And if, like, if she was, like, the older sibling, maybe they, like, resented her for running off. Like, Mm -hmm. that's really sad. That's a bummer. Jeez. Serena had a thought about book 11. Crazy thought about the snapback. What if it only worked because Jake was in morph? Like, his morph died, so his consciousness snapped back to Z-space where his real body was, then from there to his bird morph in the original timeline. Huh. What if the snapback effect wouldn't work if someone was in their regular body? I mean, it's impossible to know how much of the Andalite Sario rip knowledge is just theoretical, given that the mass and disease space concept also seems entirely theory-based. No. And Axe was like, I don't know if it will work. It's just I theorized. Don't think, no, because I think, I think the way that I read Eleven, at least, is that there's always one Jake consciousness, and there's temporarily two Jake bodies. There was no second consciousness to die if Jake's normal body had died. And I think the snapback happens no matter what. I don't know if that made sense, what I just said, but... I don't know how there would only be one consciousness <laughs> if he's, like, paying attention in two different places, paying attention to two different things. Like, his consciousness does seem to be, like, kind of merging together briefly or, like, crossing when he has those visions, but then it separates again. So then he does die. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those... It's like that thing about if you go through a teleportation machine... Maybe you're just dying and like getting oh, yeah, recreated yeah. and the new version of you has all of your memories. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's internally consistent. But yeah. the, from your point of view, you've died. So maybe but, all of book 11 is narrated by the Jake that survives and he just at some point inherits the memories of an actual dead Jake. I would also yeah. buy that more than... Well, because also there would be two Jake bodies in C-Space. Right. If he had morphed, if like each of his bodies morphed. So it, does his consciousness snap back to the other one? I guess maybe. Right. I don't know. I might buy that. What I want to know is if... Right now, we send somebody to the jungle. Mm-hmm. What are they going to find? Nothing. I mean, the jungle. They'll find the jungle. They won't find okay. the spaceships or anything, because that never happened. Gotcha. No Jake body, though. So okay. there's no second Jake body lost in Z-space. Whoa. Because that never happened. If you die in Morph, does your body stay in Z-space? Yeah. What happens if you die in Morph? I don't know. Do you become a dead Nothlet? <laughs> I think the morphing clock... I think the morphing clock stops when you die. No, no, but like, because you can't morph back. But like, if they die, if they die as the morphed animal, right? So now they can't unmorph and like fix whatever mortal mm-hmm, injury mm-hmm. they have right. had. What are their parents going to bury? They'll never find them. They'll just think A they fly. disappeared. They they won't know that the fly is them. These books stress me out, you guys. Yeah. Okay. Well, on a lighter note. Rena's comments about the time matrix. One, I'm surprised that no one mentions the greatest flaw of a sphere. It can roll. <laughs> it's honey. I think it's honeycomb. <laughs> it's such a when they're like dying, getting sucked into the black hole, and they're all running for the time matrix, and it's just rolling around on the grass. Yeah. Okay. It's spinning around and. So she says, the fact that we don't see it do so makes me wonder whether it's also slightly sticky on the bottom. Maybe it is an egg and it's rotating, so it's just... Mm. Well, maybe its weight isn't evenly distributed on the inside. Like, if an Elemist is sitting in it, he's sort of weighing down the bottom. It also has the power (laughs) of ten suns, so it must be very dense. That's true. But that means if it starts rolling, you'll never stop it. She also speculates that the term time matrix might be named after matrix string theory. Oh, 
I don't know if this is a thing back in Applegate's day, but it definitely seems like a term the Elemist would use, given his use of the butterfly effect. No, hold on, hold on. I have I have something. This was not actually written in for this episode, but I do have something about... This is a, another one of my IRL friends. He's so One of us said, it's not a matrix, it's a sphere. He wants us to know that he's seen matrices used to describe nonlinear things. It's not common because it's weird and confusing, but in his high-level polynomial algebra class, uh, they did it once as an exercise to understand why it's not the best way to represent a set of <laughs> nonlinear polynomials. The notation right. is absurd and stupid, and it doesn't really help you with the transformations and reductions. <laughs> so elements are really bad at like this. The time so matrix. I suspect that maybe K. Applegate knew a lot about high-level polynomial algebra and that wanted seems to drop likely. a reference. Yeah. She took that class and was like, hey, remember that thing that was really dumb? Let's put that in this after it. Okay, so that wraps up our time travel segment. So, Ted, it's your turn. All right. Uh, We're going to talk about ethics. Okay. All right, well, we start with another question from Rena. Yay, Rena. (laughs) Rena, who's the most prolific commentator. It's great. She wants to address the DNA use question when it comes to morphing humans. Oh, yeah. She points out, if they were just wearing disguises that looked exactly like a person, they likely wouldn't have any problem with it. For comparison, in Harry Potter, no one ever has an issue with drinking polyjuice potion, even though that also makes an exact replica of a person. This assumes that the characters in Harry Potter are moral paragons, and the Animorphs are not. I think the people in Harry Potter are all monsters, and the Animorphs are perfect angels. (laughs) That's how Indisputable. I want to that. Yeah, good point. I mean, there isn't the, like, we're recreating the mind issue in Harry Potter, and, like, it is more of, like, we're taking on the appearance, but it's still sort of the, like, you're inhabiting this other person's, like, exact replica of this person's body, and, like, Ted's whole issue of, like, then you're going to do stuff wearing their body, and they're going to get, yeah. you're going to have an impact on the world. There's a them. reason it's called evil twins. <laughs> if there's someone who looks exactly <laughs> like you, they're usually up to no good. So I think Harry Potter just ignores this big moral question. And sort of the other side of the ethical coin here. Rena points out, for Vogue 15, Wow, it's a darkly disturbing concept. The Animorphs could get rich by morphing elephants and rhinos and cutting off the ivory to sell. Which was not <laughs> the direction that we took it. But another good point. Well, well said. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the good. Animorphs could also morph each other and give like kidney transplants all the time, right? Oh, <laughs> are overlooking a lot of the money-making aspects. I mean, just like Marco the, would object to this. Or like, I mean, it's sort of like the, oh, if you had a superpower, like if you're a superman, you should just turn a crank and generate energy for the world, mm. right? Like it's like all the Animorphs should be doing is harvesting body parts. All of to, their organs all the time, everybody saving on. everyone. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe that's a thing on the Andalite homeworld where, you know, all these more capable Andalites are just harvesting organs for each other. Yeah, maybe that explains... <laughs> What their economy is based on. That's why they each have so many hearts. That's why they don't live in cities anymore. <laughs> okay, that's it for ethics. We didn't have a lot of ethics <laughs> Do we questions. have a new creepiest question asked? <laughs> okay, great. It's your turn. All right, I want to do Andalite Truth, and that okay. is because I also have a thing about this. Oh, okay. Well, someone left. This is a great comment. So KS left a comment on our site. Look. There are plenty of mentions of torsos and centaurs. I'm just tossing this one weird description in the bin of never speak of it again, along with about three and a half books. Doesn't specify which books. So then there's this list of quotes that address the question of Andalite truth. Great. But he had a strong upper body, like a mythical centaur. Book four. His upper body and head are more or less the human-looking parts. Book seven. Sort of like a mythical centaur, his upper body is like a boy's. Book nine. Only instead of a deer neck and head, you have a semi-human chest with two weak arms. Book 10. 
Axe has a somewhat human upper body. It looks like the chest and shoulders of a boy. Book 11. We do not speak of the book five description ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent request. With Uh, one important counteroffer, Gray. Okay, so this is something from the Andalite Chronicles. The quotation is, Lauren placed another hand on my rump right at the base of my tail, and suddenly she leaned her weight on me, swung one leg up and over, and came to rest straddling my back. She sat there with one human leg hanging off either side of my back and held her hands clasped around my neck. Think about this picture for a moment. If Andalites were centaur-esque creatures, she would have had to reach up to put her arms around his neck. The torso would have been the most obvious place to wrap around and also the sturdiest. But the book says neck, like you would grab a horse's neck riding bareback. There's therefore definite textual proof for this being the definitive Andalite body type, uh, which is the one where it's mostly just a neck. And no okay, torso. what if there's a torso and there's a back, but instead of them being separate, they're filled in like by the hypotenuse exactly. of the triangle? Exactly. Yeah, it's the it's the <laughs> tall backed sloped it's the sloped back and the Yeah, so there's like a full like if you look Which, at it from the front, in, you would assume like, in book one they describe a sloped back. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like a full centaur, but like the back is just filled in. That, that like whole angle where like the back would meet the like the so human back would meet the horse back. It's just filled in. They're blue nachos. <laughs> They're blue nachos. Okay. Another explanation is so it's the base of his tail. Uh-huh. What if they just have no lower bodies? So their their, <laughs> their legs, four legs are really their four close legs together. are really close together, and it's they're more like a kangaroo than a horse. And so <laughs> you just there's like a little seat that you can hop on. <laughs> they keep being compared to deer and horses. <laughs> Maybe deer in this uniform are kangaroos. <laughs> okay, that's true. That we don't know what is different about this universe. <sighs> this you know KS, you've got your textual evidence. Yeah, we've got ours. <laughs> I'm with truth KS is out on there this. somewhere. I'm with KS. When, the, when we see the first real-life Andalite, we'll know, if we haven't already. Uh, okay, so another Andalite truth-related note. Jeff on Facebook says, Also, y'all need to talk about Andalite eggs. The world needs to know. What? 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 Please go on, Ted. This is... I don't really know, but it's like, <laughs> do Andalites lay eggs? Scorpions lay eggs? I think it's a meme from an Animorphs Discord. There's some good stuff on DeviantArt of like an Andalite hatching out of an egg. Uh, I think it, it could definitely be a thing. Yeah, we don't know. Why, why not Andalites laying eggs? Gray looks really horrified. I really am, and I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, you sure, eggs, egg-related prejudices. I mean, it's as reasonable as anything else we've discussed about the Andalites, so sure. Andalites are about as weird as uh, platypuses, right? Mm-hmm. In just it's terms true. of their mix of different unexpected body parts. All right, that's it for Andalite truth. I think we found the real truth. What's the next category? Uh, TV adaptation. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wouldn't it be great if the Animorphs had a TV adaptation? Too bad this has never <laughs> happened. In, ever. Ever. Nope. So this is actually just a question from Ted. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> it's from you. You, Ted. This Ted. Where would season one of the Animorphs TV show end? Have we passed season one yet? And also, what kind of show would it be? I have strong opinions. Great. Well, I mean, it's hard to know where the natural breaks would be Yeah, yeah. in the full kind of arc of the series. Mm-hmm. I think a, a good place to end season one would be book 13. Mm. Because that's like a nice season ending. Mm-hmm. Something really interesting happens, you know, and then you can start next season with that as part of the backstory. 
Yeah. I like it. So yeah. what kind of TV show are you imagining, though? Like what? It has to be animated. You're completely right about no, this. No, no, no. Not like what does it look oh. like, but in terms of like how many episodes per season, what shows would you compare it to in terms of the structure? I want a show like Avatar The Last Airbender. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. Animated. How do the seasons break down? Very funny, but also deals with serious stuff. Animorphs would be darker than Avatar. So there are three seasons, and each season is sort of Aang mastering one of the other elements. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also... How many episodes per season? I think it's like 20-ish, like 22 okay. maybe, like normal season length, yeah. but they're, they're short yeah, episodes. Yeah, yeah. They're like the... How serialized hour. versus episodic is it? It's actually, it's it's pretty, like, there's a strong through line, but, like, the adventures are all episodic, so it actually really compares well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's too. definitely, the kids are actually not that much younger, <laughs> it's definitely a little bit lighter, like, it doesn't get into the whole, like, trauma war stuff to the same extent. Definitely not to the same extent. There's a yeah. little bit of it, but not as much. Yeah, what I was going to say is I think obviously what I want is an animated series where they adapt each episode pretty faithfully and mm-hmm, the like, mm-hmm. adi- like, so sort of they're forced to be like, how can we make the best animated Animorphs TV episode out of the Area 51 story <laughs> or the Burping and Crocodile story, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than, like, I think you could sort of imagine it as like a Stranger Things-esque thing where you get like six to eight really intense episodes per season mm-hmm. and then you are sort of condensing storylines it kind of like builds and builds and builds. That um, would be a much harder adaptation to do. Mm-hmm. Right. This It would lend itself very well to the like right. short-ish monster of the week type. Well, not least because it actually, if I'm doing the math right. It would be about three seasons. Yeah, it's about three yeah. seasons of 20-ish episodes a yeah. season. And I think there would probably be a good season stopping point really soon. Interesting. So Ryan on Facebook also wants to know, what reasons exist for there not to be a TV series adaptation? Which, I'm not sure, does he mean that, like, they should never have made one? Or, like, why isn't there one now? Like, why is it not part of the whole 90s nostalgia This is a great question, and I think it's just that uh, the people who are our age who are now producing television shows just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, that's probably true. It's next. Do you? But, like, are there reasons why we wouldn't want one? I'm not sure if that's what he was asking. I think, I feel like that it would be very hard to... It would be hard to depict the gore, probably. Interesting. That's kind of the book tan argument that, like, if we actually could see the animorphs killing right. people, it would be much worse. It would be, it much, would worse. be much worse. Mm-hmm. If it's just in text, it's easier to right. pretend it's not that bad. Right. I would say that there are things that I don't know that I've ever seen multiple points of view so well in a in a TV show. Mm. I think it would be mm. it'd be interesting to see. Is there any other adaptation of like a multi? POV oh, work. that's interesting. That, like it's like a gets, show without like a strong main yeah, character. Yeah, because it would, I think the way you could adapt it is just like if all of the Rachel episodes have a certain feel about them mm-hmm. and all of the Tobias mm-hmm. episodes have a certain feel about them rather than it's just, you know, we sort of rotate who the main Animorph is plot wise, mm-hmm. but it always has the same kind of tone. I think that would be something you'd lose. That would be interesting. I also think that the... There are structural problems that the Animorphs has as a series and that Kay Applegate took like very strong authorial control over. And I feel like anything that any kind of TV show adaptation would have to make different choices Hmm. and they would probably make worse ones. I'm curious about what you mean, but you probably can't say it. I probably can't. Yeah. I can't really say it, but I think it's just more like, unless you had, unless you had um, Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant as like showrunners (laughs) with a lot of creative control. I think that, I think that they would make different choices because they would think that they know better 
But mm-hmm. I actually, one of the things that I appreciate about the Animorphs is it has a very strong authorial voice when you look yeah. at the whole series. I think yeah. that's a good way to say it without spoiling anything specific. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's it for our TV adaptation questions. Uh, do we want to rank the books yeah, at this point? let's go to that question. Let's do it. Okay, top four. And then uh, and then we'll do the bottom four or five or something. Ted, do you want to start? Yes, I do want to start. The okay. best Animorphs book we've read so far is number three, The Encounter. Okay. It's okay. so good. It has amazing themes. Tobias gets to experience like all of the emotions that an Animorph can experience. He gets to he gets to have really high highs and really low lows. Mm-hmm. It's like the the chef's kiss of an Animorphs book. Okay. Other first choices? Well, do you want to go through all of yours? Oh, you want me to? Okay, great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My second choice is number nine, The Secret. Cassie is my favorite Animorph. We haven't even gotten to my favorite Cassie book yet. This was not one that I thought that I loved as much as I do, but Mm -hmm. it's the one on a reread. Like this reread, I've been like, oh my God, I love this book so much. Everything about it is great except for the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is a weird caveat to put in my number two spot, but (laughs) if you care about... Plot holes, Animorphs is not going to be your favorite series. That's so clearly point. I don't. Uh, my number three pick is number seven, The Stranger. I love this book pretty unreservedly. I'm kind of annoyed by some of the Elemis shenanigans um, mm-hmm. and the potential ways that, like, the determinism of it kind of undermines, like, their ability to really have agency. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, kind of like you see Rachel pushed to the brink and she really manages to uh, overcome all the odds in a way that really gets into who she is, which is something that we haven't seen since book seven. So it's like, it's the best Rachel book we've got so far. I really love it. It has so many weird and surprising things. Mm-hmm. The Animorphs have to make a lot of tough choices. There aren't any right answers. It's just incredible. Uh, number four is number 13, The Change. Tobias gets two in the top four. The reason I wanted to do four Ooh, is because basically all of these yeah. books are interchangeable. Uh, I think <laughs> I think I could rank them all in a different order on another day. This is like the only feel-good Animorphs book that we've read. I don't understand what this feeling is, but it's basically like an all-around victory for the Animorphs. Everything about the book is amazing. I think that the only thing that holds it back is just it doesn't quite explore the same emotional range as either of the three other books on my list, which is one of the things that I love about the Animorphs book so much. So even though I would want to relive this book over and over again because it's so good, it just doesn't, it's not as quintessentially Animorphs as the others on the list. I will say, I want Grady to her list, but I have all of your top four are in my top five. So. I know which one. I know which one we disagree on. <laughs> all of your top four are in my top ten. Ooh. <laughs> Good. More variants. Okay, but I mean, just remember, this is my first time reading them. Oh, yeah, you have such a different perspective. But also, that doesn't mean you're wrong. <laughs> oh, I think it does, Jenny. <laughs> Let's let sure Greg give her answers. <laughs> Okay. All right. My number one is The Change. Mm-hmm. I loved it very much. I loved everything about it. It just made me happy. My number two is The Invasion. All right. I think it's a really good introduction yes. to the series. Uh, it was my number six. Every time number The nine. Invasion went further yeah. down on my list, I regretted it. So I think yeah, I, I can't think disagree with this. It just I really enjoyed the way that the series opened. I liked it very much. And it also, you know... For me, this is the most nostalgia I now have, is, like, reading about the Animorphs for the first time. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Mm. Uh, My third one, controversial, I'm going to go with Andalite Chronicles, and here's why. Oh! Love it. Here's why. 
It's because I love to hate it. <laughs> I just there's so many things that happen in this book, all of which don't make any goddamn sense, and I think that is hysterically funny. Oh, great! Okay. And I love to hate this book, so I'm putting that in my top yeah. four. And my fourth one was The Secret. Okay, I really liked it. I will say The Secret was my fifth one. Mm. It didn't quite make it into the top four, but it was in the top five. So I had my first one as The Capture, and a lot of yeah. that is nostalgia. Yeah. It's yeah. the it's the one that really sold me. And also, I just, I love the whole journey of, you know, Jake being infested by the Yerk, yeah, the yeah, intensity yeah. of that experience, mm-hmm. the other Animorphs, like, coming together to, like, secretly, like, be on his side, even while they're working, you know, against him tactically, but it's really for him, and it's just wonderful. Yeah, this one, this is my number six, which oh, nice. I think is the That's bottom, perfect. for me, it's the bottom, six. no, for me, it's the bottom of the top tier. Oh, the top okay. six are, like, really what I consider yeah. the best that we've read so far. For whatever reason, it's not my favorite. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 it's really good. I mean, I love... it's not my favorite book, yeah, but yeah. I decided it was my favorite overall. I was torn between it. I had seven as the second one, The Stranger. And yeah, I just, I love the struggle Rachel goes through there. And I had The Encounter as number three, fittingly. And again, yeah, it was, it's the emotional intensity. I think it's really handled well in that one and in seven. And then number four was The Change, 13, because it's just... So wonderful. Tobias gets his powers back, and it's great. And it's just, like, one of the best plotted ones. So the change is our consensus best pick. Yeah. Coming in at one, four, and four. We should come up with an authoritative anamorphology list where we give them all weights. (laughs) We combine. Yes. I I just did that. Oh, great. uh, Okay. So the change would win because it gets a three. The next one, the secret, gets a 3.2-ish. I'm doing quick math in, in my head. Okay. Yes. okay. But yeah, the yeah. encounter would also get the same score. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. As the secret because three, four, and seven is 11 divided by two. So it's if all of them get 11 <laughs> yeah. divided by well, I don't thirds. understand your math, but I'm trusting it. Yeah. It's three and two thirds for each of them. Yeah. So the ones, the outliers, um, Invasion and Andalite Chronicles. I had Invasion at number six. So I was right below the secret. I did have Andalite Chronicles pretty low down. Yeah. For Well, for me, I would say. And like Chronicles is top third tier. Invasion is bottom of second tier. The Invasion, I think Jake's, the lack of Jake as a character is what mm. holds it back for me. It is really a good introduction. Yeah. Uh, and like Chronicles, it's so good in that it's nothing. It's like nothing else that we've read so far. Mm. I actually love all the zany stuff about it. I don't like the ending. I've really, yeah. I've really decided that the ending kind of ruins it for me. It's like so much potential is built up and then it all just kind of... I'm just not as interested in it. I love the third part. I like a lot where they're in the weird time world. But I, I'm really, I'm really here for for the kids having war adventures. So. All right, are we ready for bottom fours? <laughs> this is where it's going to get fun. Sure. Fourth from the bottom, number seventeen, the underground. This was one. It hold. It did not hold up well in the reread. It's mostly the like mental health terminology. It's also that Rachel doesn't come across very well and she doesn't really examine. I don't know. The, the message the book is trying to send seems off and not well thought through. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I didn't really like about it. And it didn't, there's good stuff in it, but it never really, the moments, there's not a moment that I can pull out of it, like with some of the other books. Uh, my fifth from the bottom, I was just one out, is number two, The Visitor, which is probably one of the weakest Animorphs books, but I love that Melissa Chapman moment uh, so much, yeah. mm-hmm. it beats all these other books in the list for me. So mm-hmm. number 17 doesn't have a moment like that. Then third from the bottom is number four, The Message. Cassie's indecision and kind of like blankness as a character wasn't that great on the reread. I was trying, I was agonizing over how to get books down to the bottom of the list. And Jenny was like, maybe you should think about 
what could you do without? Like if the Anor, if you had to read the Anor's again, and you could just never reread this book. I could do without the magic whales. It's, just, <laughs> it's one of those things that's a little, it's underexplained. It feels more like fantasy than science fiction to me, to mm-hmm. go back to what you were saying earlier, Gray. And then the last two. Second from the bottom is Megamorphs 1, The Andalite's Gift. <laughs> it's really fun. I love this book so much, but it's completely fluffy. There's very little going on thematically in the book. I value fluff a lot more than you do. I, I know, yeah. I know. And then at the bottom, number 11, The Forgotten. <laughs> I like its namesake. It's <laughs> my note to myself here is that it's kind of trashy fun. They go to the jungle and that's weird. I think the the like bifurcated theme where like they're talking about Jake's leadership and also the jungle and stuff. And then none of it really matters. It's like the closest we've gotten to and it's it was all a dream book. It's not that great. So, those are my bottom 4. Okay. All right. Great. What you got? All right. My fourth from the bottom was The Visitor, just as Ted said. I kind of do without it. Then my third from the bottom was The Warning. The fly thing where you get squished, I really didn't like that. The whole serial killer side effect, Mm -hmm. and I didn't like it. Um, And then my bottom two uh, were The Forgotten at Mm -hmm. 19 and The Underground. I really didn't like it. Yeah. Hurt my feelings. Yeah. So I actually had The Andalite Chronicles as fourth from the bottom. Nice. That's very low. Um, Yeah. I just, it just doesn't have as much. I will say, when I was thinking about this list, like there are no books in the first 20 that I dislike. Like, there are no books that I think, like, oh, if you're reading the Animorphs, like, skip this book. Like, they are all good. So these are the least good, but they're still, mm-hmm. like, books that I would certainly reread and enjoy. And the, But the End of Light Chronicles doesn't have quite as much to offer that I'm as interested in. Uh, and then I had The Forgotten. Again, because, I mean, it kind of gets erased. It's just not quite as impactful. And Jake's leadership stuff is interesting, but it's not as good as the expiration in 16. Right, so. mm-hmm. right. Uh, I had The Visitor as the next one. It's mm-hmm. just... Felt like they were finding their footing. It's an interesting adventure, but it's just not quite as compelling as the others. Mm-hmm. And then I had the message as, as my least favorite. It was it really surprised me by how how little I engaged with it in the reread. Cassie's indecision was a big part of it for me, and like Ted was saying, she's just not really present as a character. I had the underground as like sixth from the bottom. The mental health stuff really was not great, but I I liked I liked Rachel's awesome moments at the end that redeemed right. it a little mm-hmm. for me. Right. Mm-hmm. This was really hard to do. Yeah. Well, we are going to have to, we'll post each of our lists. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then, then we'll update post them. a combined <laughs> list. <laughs> We're going to post a list uh, with my math. Yes. It's going to be great. Do you also want a, a post of my two word description of each book? Yes, I do. This week and every week, Animorphs is brought to you by Millenomorphs, now available on AO3. What's AO3, Gray? AO3 is Archive of Our Own. It is a website dedicated to fan fiction. It is delightful, and everyone should read m- many things on it. Uh, but this is real, to <laughs> clarify. The other ads were not real. <laughs> Millennials is real. It was written by podcaster Jenny slash Android. Podcaster slash Android. <laughs> and it is completely excellent. It is longer than an actual Animorphs book. By about half as much again. A third again. By a third again. The the premise of Millenomorphs is that the Animorphs takes place when all of the characters are in their 30s. In 2019. In, in 2019, in their 30s. It is absolutely amazing. Everyone should go to AO3 and read it. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's so good. Leave comments. Kudos. Subscribe. The chapters are getting posted. Gray and I have already read the whole thing, so it's really good. We love it a lot. It's so good. <laughs> Read Jenny's stuff. She's amazing. 
After the whole Millennium book is out, maybe we can interview about it. Okay. That's a great Sounds idea. Good. Also, Scholastic <laughs> slash K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant. There's a market for middle grade <laughs> books about adults. Yeah. Definitely. Come, Something come. Scholastic should publish. Check us out. Uh, and then let's, let's talk. Okay. So we don't have a book for Gray to predict, but we did have some questions related to predictions. So first, an easy one. Alex on Facebook asks, which city slash state does Gray think the Animorphs are based out of? They're somewhere in Southern California. Yeah, pretty much. No, no. We spoiled. Do we have a specific city? Uh, San Diego, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's okay. kind of what I thought, but... Uh, then there is a slightly larger question from Meta Sequoia Leaf on Reddit. Uh, this is paraphrased because there were a lot of specific questions that we thought might be a little bit... Not spoiler exactly, but we don't want to lead you in specific directions. We were hoping you might reflect on how you think the series will end, uh, both in general and by character. Start with in general. Okay, in general, I think the Andalites come back. I think there is the big, you know, endgame battle for Earth. I think the Animorphs and Andalites win, but there are casualties. Ooh. And I think maybe, like, Marco dies. Maybe Rachel. I don't know. Somebody dies. One of the Animorphs. Why is this your prediction? Why uh, those characters? Why do you think it's bittersweet? Like, yeah, what? so usually the deaths are in, in a, especially like a young adult children's series, if there are deaths, which there usually aren't, but if there are, they're not the main character. It's the side character that's going to make you cry, right? So mm. Harry Potter, you know, the Weasley twins and, and Lupin and, and Nymphdora. Um, spoilers for Harry Potter. Sorry, Lupin and Tonks. <laughs> spoilers. Snape kills Dumbledore. Um, also, Snape kills Dumbledore. <laughs> like that kind of thing, right? And I think you couldn't have, for that reason, like Jake would be hard to kill off because he's not the main character, but like as the leader, I think. In the first POV. Yeah, I think I that, that would argument. be more difficult. And Marco and Rachel are both characters where you would you'd be so upset if they died, but they do feel like not expendable exactly, but like kind of more expendable than Jake. And I feel like Cassie, as much as I love her, doesn't have no maybe because also she's the girlfriend. Oh god, I hope she doesn't die. That'd suck. Oh, shoot. I don't want her to get fridged. That would be so sad. But I do think I think the way that this series has been written and the trauma that they've experienced and the violence that they've experienced leads me to think that eventually there's going to need to be some kind of climax that they can't get out of. And Hmm. the thing that I would assume that would be would be some kind of great battle in which one of them does. And you think that happens right at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, you know, book 53 Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, I think that's very, like, the last few books are, are the sort of end game of this and and it takes that long to get to that point why do you think there will be an ending Hmm, good question like that in this kind of series middle grade series well that's not true they could just kind of trail off uh i think that because it would be real disappointing (laughs) 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 do you have thoughts about like what will happen to any of the other characters um rachel and tobias live happily ever after the end i will not be taking (laughs) questions at this time in what way do they live happily ever after? I don't care. Okay. You're not taking questions. I'm not right. taking I'm questions sorry. at this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call for our mailbag episode in which we're taking questions. Uh, what, what about Axe? Uh, Axe goes back with the uh, Andalites. Interesting. 
Yeah. So even after so just reading 18? I like I like that. Yeah. Yeah, all right. What and about... What, what happens with, like, um, does he ever have a cinnamon bun again? Oh, of course. Okay. He has a cinnamon bun the next time we see him. He's <laughs> right. um, getting his stomach pump makes nothing to ask. <laughs> what about Jake? What is his role in the ending as the sort of protagonist? Do you know what's really hard about this? What? Not saying what he does in the letterworks. <laughs> well, he obviously grows up. There's Cassie, and then there's this whole thing where, you know, Rachel has to come back. He's and, a middle and, manager. And a middle yeah. manager in California. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, you can predict that if you want. That's allowed. I think that Jake becomes a spokesperson for the battle in some ways. Because if this does end up being an actual battle, which now that the more I think about this, the more I'm like, how is that going to work? Like, what is the U.S. military going to get involved in this? I don't know. But if there is something more public, someone needs to be the voice of the Animorphs and kind of saying, telling their story, mm. like how they got to this point, what they've been doing all along. And hey, remember that weird thing where like this plane appeared and then it disappeared and the fighter jets went right <laughs> over so it? A more official leader. A more official mm. leader. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. I think another question: What like important secondary stories or characters do you think might come up again or get resolved or not? Is this where I give away how I do my predictions? <laughs> I thought you already did that. Maybe well, not on the air. I don't think I did on the air. So uh, I have a list of the things that get mentioned more than once, and then sometimes when I don't know what's going to happen next, I pick the one of those that seems most likely, <laughs> which is where the Lyrans came from. And I'm still very proud We're of that prediction. So Thank good you at that. Very much. So uh, Visser 1, we haven't seen the last of Visser 1. That's definitely coming back. But in what way? Uh, if Visser 1 comes back, how does it get resolved? Like, at the end of the series. Oh, at the end of the series. Oh, uh, they, they save Marco's mom. Okay. And she comes back to be Marco's mom. Oh, okay. As though no time has passed and she and her husband are not completely separate people now that they have had these <laughs> very differing experiences. So unrealistically happy so ending for... Marco <laughs> lives happily ever after with his mom. Rachel lives happily ever after with Tobias, but one of them dies. Right. Got it. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Axe lives <laughs> happily ever after with the Andalites. Possibly he also is one of the people who could die. So, you know, I'm prepared to be firm <laughs> about these completely bonkers predictions. Uh, okay, so Visser 1, yep, that's fine. Um, the Elemist helps in the final battle. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a cross-species thing, like so the like, Hobbit. Yeah, so like the Lyrans are going to come and they're going to help. Diversity, the, yeah. Hork-Bajir. It's the message of eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're all they're all going to help out, and uh, and the Elemist is going to put his thumb on the scales, and that's how the Yerks get taken away on mass. Do we have any other questions about the ending of the series? What happens to Visser Three? Um, he gets uh, captured and humiliated, and it's very embarrassing, but nice. Yeah. Skunked over and over. Yeah. <laughs> over, over. They just put him in a box. I like that he went straight sentenced. to humiliated. Not like executed, but like, just like people make fun of him. Yeah. He gets sentenced by Andalite Court to just be sprayed by a skunk over and over again. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But the but the Yerk, not Alaric. Oh, good point. Yeah. Just the Yerk. I don't know if Yerks can smell, but that's what they do. Something embarrassing for the Yerk. All right. Sounds they put great. him on a bungee cord and just <laughs> doing 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 in front of a house cat. Yeah, which is gray and not flip form. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so I had a couple of more specific questions for you, just because I meant to ask these at the end of eighteen, and then I got really caught up in your other predictions. I just I feel like this is a subject in which you know a lot of things. And so I want your specific ideas about what time of dinosaurs they're going to and what dinosaurs they're going to see. Okay. So um, I think that this is probably going to be a, a Jurassic 
exploration, but not Jurassic Park, because the Jurassic Park dinosaurs were not all from the Jurassic period. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole thing. Whatever, it's fine. But, I mean, they got to meet a T-Rex, is Mm -hmm. the thing about it, right? But T-Rex are from the Jurassic. Like, reasonably sure. See, we need my four-year-old nephew. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's right. So we've got Stegosaurus. We've got the Archaeopteryx, which is my personal favorite. That's Allosaurus, not Tyrannosaurus. Oh, Okay. But, you know, most of the time, no one notices the difference. So are they going to get into an argument about whether it's an Allosaurus or a T-Rex? Yes. Definitely a thing that's going to happen. For sure. They're going to get into this whole argument. In the meantime, they really ought to be just running away. (laughs) Just seems like the kind of thing that's going to happen. Okay, but this has been great. It was really fun addressing all these questions. Is there anything else that I have to answer? Uh, No, I think that that's actually it. If we didn't get to your question, we're really sorry. We'll have another mailbag episode in the future. If we did get to your question and it got cut because our answers didn't make any sense in retrospect. We're also sorry. We're also sorry about that. If we did get to your question and we just gave you a really bad answer, we're sorry about that too. Mostly right. we if just... you wish we hadn't addressed your question. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about that. We're now, not but sorry. We're sorry. No, 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 we're not. Oh, you're right. We're not sorry. Mostly we apologize for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just really Lots of things happen. But we don't apologize for our rankings of the books because they're all of them are completely accurate despite being different. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see you next time. Megamorphs 2 in the time of dinosaurs. If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. <laughs> Does that make Marco Adoani? <laughs> He's just a boy who a girl can't say yes to. <laughs>